I mean, I've been talking about this. This guy's cracked up, man. He's gone to the loony bin over this. And, and so I'm just wondering how it's going for you. That, another reason I asked is I heard Ashley tell her sister last week, she said, I am sick of this lockdown, and I'm really tired of my children. In fact, I'm thinking of selling them. And Andrea said, are you crazy? And Ashley said, I know. I think I'm crazy because I want to sell my kids. Andrew said, no, I think you're crazy. You think anybody buy your kids, you know what I mean? But I also heard Annabelle tell Archie last week. She said, Archie, are you going to sit there and play video games all day? What, are you going to be 30 years old living in the basement of your mom's house playing video games for the rest of your life? And that gleam in his eye that Archie can give, he said, well, I can dream. <laughs> My point is, I think uh, we're all doing the best we can making uh, good times out of this crazy times that we're living in. I mean, some of us are having great family time, reacquainting with, with uh, each other in a way we haven't for a long time. Personally, I think we're doing pretty well as a church, staying connected. And again, I can't thank our team uh, enough for what they're doing, because I certainly uh, couldn't even turn the stuff on back there, and I think they're doing a good job. And we're looking forward to uh, the reopening of America Phase 1, opening coming up this week. But in the meantime, I love what Bob Russell says. He writes, while it might require both creativity and courage to do so, church leaders should take initiative to meet together as soon as possible. In my opinion, he says, church leaders would make a huge mistake to assume that online services are a satisfactory long-term substitute for regular worship. I know we all agree we can't wait to get back together, but he says there's numerous biblical reasons why we should move back towards regular worship as soon as possible. And he lists a few. He listed uh, obedience and fellowship and encouragement and accountability and testimony. We know we all want to get back together. Now, we talked about balance a little bit last week, and I'm also uh, very happy with the leadership in this church that they're working on that balance, uh, keeping us connected online like this, and at the same time looking forward to getting back together as soon as we can, safely, the way it should be. In the meantime, whether we're worshiping together here or at home, we've got to continue to pay attention to some of the scriptures that are vital for our worship, like the one for our sermon this morning, Psalm 29, 1 and 2. It reads like this. Ascribe to, the, ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Not a good text. Listen, from the very beginning, God's people have wanted to come together and give him glory. And in the Old Testament, God had them build a meeting place so they could get together, worship him properly, and more importantly to God, so he could just hang out with them. He loves that. He wanted a place where he could fix it up so they could come and worship and he could dwell among them. In fact, Exodus 25, 8 and 9 reads, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God had Moses build this tabernacle, and they planned it out with meticulous detail. If you all have ever seen my wife make a list on anything, you'll notice she doesn't miss anything. If you've ever seen uh, Mike Wilson fix a car, he doesn't miss a detail. If you've ever watched Crawl Dad here at church uh, in, a, uh, in a pitch-in uh, lunch that we have, uh, I mean, the guy is a human food vacuum cleaner. He never misses a thing. Love you, Crawl Dad. But my point is, if you've seen a picture of that, you've seen a picture of the tabernacle. God wanted to put together just right. And as soon as it got to put together just right, it answered three huge questions. Who is God? How can we as people have access to God? And when we do get access to God, what's the best way to worship Him? 
Exodus 29, 44 through 46 reads, So I will consecrate the tent of the meeting, the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I'm the Lord their God who brought them up out of Egypt, so I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. In other words, God's saying, you find a special place, a, a tabernacle, a temple, a church, a pole barn, a tent, home, wherever you're at. Find a special place, consecrate it, that is, make it special, and then get some priests, and then I'll come in and you worship me, and we'll hang out together. It's good stuff. God says, that's why I freed you from slavery in the first place. Now, the good news for us, church, is God hasn't changed one bit. He still wants to free us up from the things that enslave us and at the same time hang out with us. That's why in addition to prayer, as a church body, we're always trying to learn how to worship Him better because God is still looking for meeting places that are dedicated, consecrated to Him, and for priests to come in and lead people into pro proper worship. Now, you're probably saying, well, Cain, we're kind of stuck at home right now, so... You know, we're kind of out of priest at our house. Oh, on the contrary. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, We Christians are a, cho a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Most of your homes have several priests in them. You have everything you need this morning to worship Him. Zach Neese says it's all about access. God wants access to us, and He wants us to have access to Him. One day, a Hoosier stood up and looked across the Ohio River, and he said, I feel so good today, I think I can whip about a hundred of you Kentuckians. Well, they jumped in the river, and they swam across and jumped behind this big rock. There's a cloud of smoke, and out stepped the Hoosier, kind of brushed himself off. He said, I still feel pretty good. Send a hundred more over. Boy, they jumped in. They got halfway across, and one surviving Kentuckian crawled out from behind a rock and said, Go back. Go back. There's two of them. That's kind of what I'm talking about. With God in the picture, there's always two. I mean, you look in uh, the camp and the Israelites in the Old Testament, and they always had this huge God of Israel behind the rock with them. And I mean, with God on their side, they figured they could take on anybody. All comers. They were invincible, unstoppable. In fact, they knew that all the nations around them were scared of this little bitty nation of Israel because they had God in their camp. It's really not changed today. You look at the map, and, and, and Israel's just a little speck of big nations all around it wanting to wipe them out, but they don't. Why? Because they have God in their camp. Zach Neese said the only way to get God out of their camp was to disrupt their worship. And he says Satan's trying to do that to the church today. Personally, I think Satan is trying to shut the church down today, but it's not working out very well for him. The point is, from the very beginning, God has wanted to teach us, as His people, how to worship Him and what it takes to have access to Him. And it shouldn't upset us or surprise us at all that there's a certain protocol, a certain etiquette that we must uh, follow to get in the presence of the King of the universe. I mean, He's worth that, amen? I mean, it shouldn't upset us that there's a proper way for us to worship God, either together here or at home where you're at right now. When I was a kid, my mom used to say to me, and I'm sure you heard this too growing up, I would say, Mommy, can I have a popsicle? And she'd say, I don't know, can you? Are you able to have a popsicle? Or do you, do you mean, may I have a popsicle? I was so abused growing up. But as it turns out, my mom was right. There's a big difference between the two. Big difference between may I and can I. You need both. Last year, when we camped at Disney World, we had 
12 people and two dogs in the same campsite. That sounds like a nightmare to most people. Man, that is seven to me, to have all my family and both of my dogs in the campsite with me. We had such a blast. And, and one day, Griffey came up to me and he said, Papa, can I get a prize at Magic Kingdom? My grandkids all, all love prizes for some reason. I don't know where they get it. But he said, Papa, can I get a prize in Magic Kingdom? What if I'd have said to him, sure, bubby boy. That's what I call him. Sure, take off. Have a good time. Let me know when you get back. What would be wrong with that? Well, as smart as he was for an almost four-year-old little boy, he had no ticket to get into Magic Kingdom. He had no money to buy a prize when he did get in. He didn't have any way of getting there. He didn't have any way of getting home from there. So as smart as he was, he couldn't have pulled that off on his own. And my point is, what kind of grandpa would tell their grandkids, give them permission to go to paradise, and Magic Kingdom is paradise, give them permission to go to, Mag to paradise, and then not show them how to get there, not help them how to get there. You need both, permission and ability. A may I and I can I, two different things. South Union Christian Church family, we are priests of the Most High God. And we need to make sure that we learn and practice the tools of our trade. We need to make sure we're doing things right in worshiping God here and at home so that we can lead other people to Jesus Christ so they can be led into salvation and grace and mercy and joy and worship of their own no matter where that's going on. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, referring to the tabernacle of Moses, we read this. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what's in heaven. It's a copy and a shadow of what's going on. I mean, no wonder Moses was warned when you build the tabernacle, make sure you do it exactly as I told you. It's a copy of how we worship in heaven. No wonder you and I need to be uh, good stewards of how we worship, not just when we get back together on Sundays, not just in your homes this morning, but in our everyday life. It's a copy of how we're going to worship God in heaven. No wonder we have to be concerned about the ground rules being followed at church and in our homes and in our lives every day when we worship God. It's a copy of what's going to be going on in heaven. I think it's pretty important. So before we take communion together, let's go over a few of these ground rules. You want to? Here's number one. God only accepts free will offering. Exodus 25, 2. Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. In other words, God only wants what we want to give him. Did you hear that? He only wants what you want to give him. God doesn't love us for what we can bring to him in church on Sunday mornings. He loves us for who we are. I love what Zach Nee says. He says, we're not tools in the hands of God. We're children in the arms of God. Isn't that good? And God only wants what you want to give him freely in worship. In other words, and I don't mean to be harsh here, but this is what he's saying. If you're home right now and you're tuned into this online and you're really not into it, you know, you're not really not into the sermon and you're not into the text and you're really not looking forward to the communion time and, and singing with your family during worship time. If, if that's not really what's going on in your heart, I don't want to upset you, but you, you might as well do something else. You see what I mean? It, it also means that parents and wives and husbands and siblings and church leaders, we can't make people worship. Not here at church and not at home, not anywhere. You, you can't argue somebody into a relationship with God because if they can be argued in, they can be argued right back out. You, you can't scare somebody into worshiping God because fear only lasts for a little while. You can't guilt somebody into worshiping God. 
So that means we shouldn't get frustrated at church on Sunday when people aren't participating in worship. It happens sometimes. We get frustrated. And you shouldn't get frustrated at home right now if you can't get your family to participate in worship because you can't make people worship. You just cannot. But i tell you what you can do. You can show them how. You can lead the way. Anybody in here, uh, anybody out there, uh, know what you call a happy cowboy? A jolly rancher. Anybody out there know why the cowboy rode his horse all the way to church? Well, he's too heavy to carry. Anybody out there want me to stop telling cowboy jokes? Okay, I will, Melvin. <laughs> but my point is, we're not cowboys, South Union Christian Church. Cowboys drive. We're shepherds, and we lead. And that's why we continue at South Union Christian Church to prayerfully consider how we can become more of a house of prayer, how we can become a church that's more full of Holy Spirit, how we can become a church that learns how to worship God properly. Because if we lead people that way, they'll follow us. That's just how it works. I think I remember you telling years ago, uh, we were still doing communion meditation, and uh, I was waiting my turn in the back Back then, we gave everybody an opportunity. We took turns, and whoever was doing it that Sunday was just going on and on and on. And I was looking at my watch. I was running out of time to be able to preach in my pulpit. I was wanting to get in the pulpit. By, by the way, that was back when I still had a pulpit before that evil Lord took it away from me. Missed my pulpit. But anyway, I'm in the back, and I'm just, you know, I'm upset and frustrated over this. And this is one of those days, one of those times where God dropped the anvil on me. There's been two or three of these that I've never forgotten, and I didn't forget this now. I didn't hear it audibly, but almost, almost. What I heard from God that morning was, chill out. This is not the Jim Cain show. What I heard in my spirit and my heart pretty clearly from him is this guy up here is just as excited as serving me with this communion meditation as you're excited uh, serving me with your sermon. And by the way, Cain, you of all people in this church are supposed to be training these people for service in the kingdom. Ouch. Ouch. Wake up call. See, my attitude should be, I hope these people see how excited I am about preaching so they'll be excited about spreading the word too. And my point again is, if you and I learn how to worship properly and offer it from our heart like we're supposed to, and people see that our family and our friends and our kids and our neighbors will follow suit and we can lead them into worship. Number two, when we worship the Lord at home or at church, God doesn't want us just to worship Him with our minds and our mouths. He wants us to worship Him with His heart. Exodus 35, 21 reads, And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved Him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work in the tent of the meeting, for all the services, and for all the sacred garments. In other words, they weren't just willing, they were moved in their heart to serve God. And that's what God wants. Listen, God wants our hearts. That is the greatest commodity and the greatest treasure in heaven is our hearts. Because if God gets our hearts, He gets all of us. And when we worship Him with all of our hearts, it shows that He has us. But if we don't worship with our whole heart, it's really not worship at all. I guess the second rule can be summed up with the first, heart, first part of the grand commandment. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number three, we do meeting places with God wherever that is God's way and not our way. 
We got to do this God's way, not our way. Not the new trending thing, not what's contemporary, not what everybody else is doing. We have to worship God His way. That's the way He set it up. Now, the classic example of that is in 2 Samuel 6 in the Old Testament, where David brought the ark back, remember? But he didn't bring it back right. And so when they brought it into camp, it started to fall off, and Uzzah reached up to touch it. You're not allowed to touch the ark. And God killed him. Remember that? David was so excited to bring the ark back to worship God, he planned out one of the most extravagant worship services in history. I mean, he had politicians, he had priests, he had princesses and princes, he had live music, a dance ministry, parade, gifts, it was a big deal. An all-out blast to worship his God, but he didn't do it right, and because he didn't do it right, one of his worship team members died. It was tragic. There's a couple things we can learn from that story right off the bat. Number one is this. There's no excuse for us as priests in the church or at home not to know our responsibilities. No excuses for it, but there are grave consequences. God deserves our worship His way. And we need to learn to do that and show others how to do that. And secondly, just because something works in the world doesn't mean it's going to work in the church. David found that out the hard way too. See, the Philistines, they did bring the ark in any way they wanted to. But that's okay. They're not true worshipers of God. They didn't belong to him. But God wouldn't put up that same disrespect from his own priests, not from his children. Years ago, we were still having a small group at the, at the Wilson's house, and we were almost late because we had stopped at the mall to get something. And when we got to small groups, I was telling them the story I saw at the mall. It, it was fantastic. I've never seen anything like it. We watched this kid throw an all-out fit on the floor of the pet stop. I mean, he was on his back, kicking and screaming. It was a classic fit. He wanted a puppy, and he wouldn't give him one. And I was telling that story at the small group, and somebody asked me, man, that's great. What would you do? And I said, what did I do? I didn't do anything. It wasn't my kid. But if it had been my kid. See, that's the point. We're God's children. He expects us to know what he wants from us when we worship, and he expects us to do it. Now, I'll give you a quick example, and then I've got to move on. We're going to take communion like we do every, every week, but you're doing it at home. And it's up to you leaders in your home to make sure together as you take communion this morning that, that everybody knows what they're doing. Paul says you should examine yourself before you eat of the bread and drink of the cup so you don't eat and drink judgment on yourselves. So you've got to pray as a family. Make sure you know what's going on. I'm sure you're doing that. Just an example. Number four, the tabernacle must be built by skillful people. And the point by this is we need to bring God our best, always. Uh, several years ago, well, actually, I'd just been here about uh, a year, um, and we were living in Ken and Claudia's basement. I mean, we didn't have a dime. And they didn't have much either. And it was about this time of year, and we wanted to grill out. Neither one of us had a gas grill, and uh, Ken's charcoal grill had worn out and busted out the bottom. So I found $5, and I went to the dollar store and bought one of those tabletop abachis. Remember when they were very popular? And also, I was there. I bought the same kind of charcoal that my mother-in-law likes to buy, 50 pounds for a dollar. I don't think it's charcoal. I think it's poop. But anyway, I brought that stuff home, and I put it in a bocce, and we were so excited because we actually had hamburgers and hot dogs, and we was going to cook them out. And I lit that thing, and within five minutes, it burned up. The whole apache burned up, and it burned up half the picnic table. Remember that, Ange? It was amazing to watch. Now, we learned a lesson that day that we had learned several times, and have learned several times since, and the lesson is this. You get what you pay for. You normally get out of something what you put into it, and we all know that. If you've got something in your home that's broken, you're going to find a good carpenter to fix it. 
If you're having heart trouble, you're going to go to a specialist. If your car's broke down, you're going to find the best mechanic you can find. Because when it comes to us, we want the best, right? Sure we do. Don't you think God deserves the best? Don't you think he demands the best? Listen to Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. He says, God says, when you bring animals for sacrifice, uh, blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not Try offering that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord God Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so you might not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord God Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. And listen to verse 14. This is powerful stuff. Cursed is the cheat, the cheat, God says, who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord instead. For I am the great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among all the nations. We've we got to make sure we get this. Cursed, God says. He doesn't talk like that very often. Is anybody who has an opportunity to worship me properly and does not bring me their best. God commands the best from us when we worship. That's only right. One more, then we'll take communion. It's all got to be about the Holy Spirit. Always, no matter what, to worship. One of the things we've learned here at South Union Christian Church is if we're going to have church service here on Sunday morning and it's not surrounded and covered and infused by the Holy Spirit, then we've wasted everybody's time. If for the elders at this church are wonderful people who would give you the shirt off their back, but they're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, then they can be great men, but they cannot shepherd this flock. If, if I learn uh, wisdom and knowledge and even someday learn how to preach the gospel, but I'm not filling myself up with the Holy Spirit, I cannot be your pastor. No way. And Lori can bring this praise team up here week after week and sing like angels, and they do. But if they're not full of the Holy Spirit, then they're just music people. They're not worship people. I mean, you get the point. If the Holy Spirit's not running this show in this place, wherever it is, your place of worship, if He's not present in every function of the worship, then everything we do here is powerless, and we might as well just shut the Facebook down, turn off the lights, lock the doors, and go home. And I'm going to tell you something else. If He's not present in your home right now, if you're not asking Him to fill things up and to clean things up and to touch hearts when you worship Him on Sunday mornings, then you might as well just turn me off and turn on SpongeBob SquarePants. I put that remote down. I was just kidding. Not about turn, I just about turned me off. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. I praise God the eldership of this church are spiritual men. I praise God that Lori White is a spirit-filled woman. Oh, my goodness, she is. I praise God that the staff at South Union Christian Church are full of the Holy Spirit. And I'm promising you, know, I'm doing everything I can to moment by moment, daily, be full of the Holy Spirit myself so that I can one day say to you what Paul said to his church, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to, let's pretend I'm walking down because we're at that stage of the sermon. Isn't that good? That's a good stage. I want to get us to the table I want to tell you something that Eddie Hyatt said years ago. He said, someone has noted that when we pray, we're concentrating on our needs. When we give thanksgiving and praise, we're concentrating on our blessings. But when we worship, we're concentrated on Him.
Isn't that good? Now, Zach Neese in the book that I've been referring to this morning talks about how powerful a tool music is to worship, and it is. I mean, it moves our bodies, it moves our souls, it gets us into it. But it's just a tool. The word worship is from an old English word, which means to give something worth. When we worship, we're giving God worth, and He he deserves it. Amen? That's why He wants worship from our heart, and He wants worship done His way, not our way. He wants worship done real to bring everybody else in. Worshippers always sacrifice. In fact, I think it's awesome that the very first mention of worship in the Bible is when Abraham took his son Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him. Remember that? He told him in. He said, you stay here. The boy and I are going to go up on the mountain and worship God, and then we'll be back. In other words, I'm about to go up on the mountain and sacrifice the best thing I have to God because he's worth it. Family, as we go to the table this morning, We're sacrificing our time. You could be watching something else. You'd be doing something else. We're sacrificing our attitudes and our hearts. Some of you have already sent your tithe in this week. You've sacrificed your money. We're sacrificing a little something for the Lord. And my goodness, He's worth it. The price He paid so that we can have this. So I'm going to pray. And then they're going to play some music as they always do. And as I do that, as you're sitting at home as a family this morning, ask yourselves and ask each other, what what are we sacrificing to worship our God? This morning for sure, but when we get back together, what kind of things are we giving up to make sure we're here worshiping God? What kind of things are we giving up in our lives daily so we're worshiping Him? And then come to the table. Lord, You are worthy of our praise. Your name is above all names. It's a great name. It's a powerful name. It's a wonderful name. It's the one we revere. It's the one we cherish. It's the one we worship. I pray you see that in our hearts this morning. And Lord, if there's anything in our heart that we're holding back, right now we're asking through the powerful name of Jesus, your Holy Spirit, we'll change that right now. So we can give you the glory due your name. In Christ's name.